What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Okay, you know, like at camps and stuff like this, you take the ball out. You ain't getting the ball back. <laughs> like, you the last one up the court. They already did their thing. So I stopped there, and I just got into a rhythm and started hooping. The Lakers should sign Trey Young this summer. They got to kind of start preparing for, like, if LeBron's last year is this year or next year, whenever it is. And I feel like a uh, pick and roll with AD and a guy like Trey Young would be deadly. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Got my PrevNAR 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk. Get vaccinated, but, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't give Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. Welcome to All the Smoke, a production of The Black Effect and Our Heart Radio in partnership with Showtime. Welcome back, man. Season two of All the Smoke. We got a real special guest. What's up with your Brody with the virtual handshake? I'm gonna tell y'all something that I never told nobody. I want All the Smoke. Welcome back, season two, All the Smoke. We have our first WNBA player. We're very excited about that, but not only is she a WNBA player, she's a four-time champ. Welcome Sue Bird to the show. Sue, how you doing? I'm good, I'm good. Thanks for having me. What's up, champ? <laughs> Thanks for coming on, you? champ. Man, I'm good. I mean, you know how it is after you win. You still groggy. <laughs> I said, you know how it is after you win. The off season's the, off season's the best. Right. Exactly. You get to enjoy it. You get to enjoy it. Um, you know, we're you and I went to college at the same time. Um, you're in year 17, coming up on 40 years of age. Is there... A timetable left? You know, Tom Brady at 42, Vince at 43, just shut it down. What is your, what is your thinking? You've always been known to keep your body and, and mind in great shape. Is, is the finish line near? I don't think so. It's like, ask me in a month, ask me in two months. Things just change like that when you're this age. But uh, as of right now, I think I'm going to go for it. We'll see. We got the Olympics maybe coming up. So there's that it. too. Yes. That would be what? You're, an opportunity to win your fifth gold medal? Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. You got a lot of hardware from college to the league to the Olympics. You got a lot of hardware. Just trying to stack them up. That's all you can do, man, at the end of the day. You You've ran out of room known. already. <laughs> Never. There's always more room. There's always you more room. You don't have no room right now. 
<laughs> you've always been known to be a, a fairly private person, but you're very outspoken on social justice issues, um, equality, female rights, um, racial discrimination. With the, with, with the election around the corner, what is your message behind all that? Vote. I mean, the one thing I learned, I think this, this um, I was about to say summer, I guess it is the summer into the fall, is just how important voting is. I mean, the one quick story I can tell is uh, Chris Paul actually set up with, with, with the NBA PA, along with RPA, a call with Michelle Obama. And to hear her, all she wanted to talk about was voting. And I know she's dedicated her like post first lady life to that. But to hear her talk about like, yeah, you know, like President Obama, he killed it in the election, but then we lost all the midterm elections. And now you see that, right? Like you see how all these senators are the ones controlling everything. So I think there's different ways we can all have and make impact. But the one way we can for sure have our voices heard is to vote. And then not only that, for me, a step further, like educate people on voting, get other people to vote. Not just so not just my vote, right? Like trying to get people out and encourage them. That to me is, has been the one thing that has stood out the most. I think it's important. And when we say vote, um, cause I'm on the same thing. It's obviously when we tell people to vote, that's almost a loaded situation because once you get there, there's so much stuff you're supposed to already know. And it, it's really confusing if you really don't go in there with the plan, but it's not just on the federal level. It's on your local and state level as well, because that's where the laws are, you know, are created and passed and all that kind of stuff. So I think for, I think now more than ever, people are, are paying attention and, and wanting to vote. So there's just there's definitely a lot that comes with it. But like I said, it's not just for the presidency. It, it, it's for your community as well. And I, that, that's where I think people can be really effective at as well and see immediate turnaround. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, as you guys like to bring up, I am turning 40 soon. And like some of this stuff, I didn't even know <laughs> until this year. Right. You know what I mean? And I think people might get embarrassed by that or whatever. It's like, whatever. Like if it, if it means you're 40, if you're 20, if you're 50, who cares? Like now is the right. time. So like go out of your way to like get educated, to talk to whoever you need to talk to, to kind of help guide you, make a plan, all that good stuff. Absolutely. The NBA did a great job of, of coming together with the bubble idea and, and executing it. Uh, you guys followed right behind. What was the process? Were you, was your hand in kind of creating the situation? Because uh, I know you are obviously the, uh, you know, a uh, very outspoken in your league on, on a lot of different fronts, but did you help with the plan of this? Yeah. Uh, so I'm also on the executive committee for our PA and it was basically like a bizarre CBA negotiation, you know, like obviously the CBA is where you talk about the money and the, this and the, that, this was that plus like all this other stuff with safety and COVID and you know, one big non-negotiable was that the season was going to be dedicated to in the moment we didn't know, Brianna Taylor, like specifically, but as it turned out, we were going to dedicate that season to, to her, to her family, to say her name, all that. So it was, it was a lot. I mean, so, low key, I wish there was cameras on all these Zoom calls when we were going through all this, because as you guys heard on the NBA side, like a lot of players had a lot of different feelings about it. And so it was very, I mean, crazy how similar a lot of the feelings and, and kind of emotions that people were going through. It was the exact same on the WNBA side as well. Once you guys decided to come together and, and, you know, if you're in, you're in, we understand if you're not, you guys have really always been at the forefront as far as being creative with messaging and campaigns and, and, and things of that nature. And I said back on ESPN about a month ago, I was like, if any 
quote unquote white players can understand the struggle of the black community. It's the women of the WNBA because ever since your inauguration, you your fight and your voice and your message has always been for equality, equal footing, equal pay, equal opportunity. So I, to to me, that's probably one of the main reasons I thought you guys are so far ahead of even NBA when it comes to ideas. What what, what what's behind that for, uh, in your opinion? Yeah, I think um, you know given like where women and female athletes are in our society, you know, just like how we're treated or how we're looked at, we kind of have had to have this mentality of like fight, right? Like fight for what we think is right. And a lot of times the people in the locker room, we're not just, obviously we're women, but we're not just women. We're black women. We're gay women. We we come, we have like all different, it's like a melting pot in our league, similar to a lot of sports leagues, which is what makes them great. Mm -hmm. So we just kind of, it just kind of came naturally. I've actually said before, it's not even like we chose it per se, it just kind of was brought to us. We kind of had to defend ourselves. And with that, we like developed this backbone. And, you know, our league, the beauty of it is it's it's big enough where we affect, you know, have impact in a lot of different communities. Like we have 12 teams, that's 12 major cities, but we're small enough, 144 players, where we can do the organizing, right? So like even in the bubble, very quickly, you know, once the Milwaukee Bucks were like, we're not playing, very quickly, we were able to kind of like figure out what we wanted to do to support them. You know, sidebar, it wasn't even about support. It was more just like, this is some crazy shit and it impacts people directly and they're being like re-traumatized and they need a fucking day off. (laughs) You know, they need two days off. They need moments. But then within those moments, we had a small enough group where we could like, all right, guys, we want to do this. We want to do that. Let's wear this t-shirt, you know, so we can present like united. And I think that goes a long way. Absolutely. Uh, one thing always, too, like you said, I think because the numbers are smaller, but you guys are always very united on the same page. Like you said, you may have heard different, obviously, opinions, ideas, thoughts, but you guys come together very quickly. Um, and this was no different. Yeah. I mean, like I said, the lead up was was crazy. Some of the conversations and, you know, players who didn't feel comfortable or just weren't in the right mind mind frame to come play in the bubble that was cool. We still wanted to keep them connected. You know what I mean? So, I mean, Natasha Cloud is one, Renee Montgomery, there, there's a list. And we just want to make sure whatever we did do, they were still connected to that. Because just because it didn't feel right for them doesn't mean that they can't be a part of what our, like, I guess, like long-term whatever messaging was. Because for us, I think we all landed on being there. That is our platform. We're different from the men's players. Like our platform is together. It is when we're playing basketball. Um, but the best part was that everybody kind of got to be a part of it, whether they wanted to actually physically be there or not. Well, that was one thing, you know, because j- Jack and I had different point of views. And, and my point of view was your point of view. Um, you know, you would hear from LeBron if the NBA decided not to go back because he's a superstar and he has his reach reaches around the world. But would you have heard from the next tier of players or would you have heard from Doc Rivers? You know, and then Jack was on the other side. Like you said, you felt like, you know, when you guys decided to follow the, the Bucks' lead, the world needed a break. And that's where Jack's focus was. Just like, you know, we kind of are straying away from the task at hand if we start back with sports. So we kind of both had our reasonings back and forth. And, and, you know, we both made good points and both understood where each of us were coming from as well. Yeah, I mean, I heard I heard you guys talk about it. I was listening. Um, and it is. It's both <laughs> valid points. I think... Right. After going through it, it's just, it's almost like there's no wrong answer. And I think now that the seasons have ended, what I'm kind of hoping is the distraction. Cause I know that was a big part of the argument, right? Like this is going to distract from what, you know, the movement, so to speak. But now that it's gone, I think maybe it, 
we were able to use the platform to kind of get some things out there. And now that sports has gone, well, not sports, but basketball has gone again now. So now it's like, it's kind of like a great combination, right? Like sports rose it up to another level and now it can continue to be pushed without actually having the distraction of playing. But yeah, it was, it was tough. I just hate that it was so much pressure put on the WNBA and the NBA to, to, to hold it up. Like everybody has a responsibility. You know, everybody has a job to do. We The NBA is not going to get it done by themselves. The WNBA is not going to get it done by themselves. Yes, we have a job to do and we have big voices, but a lot of people put a lot of pressure on the WNBA and the NBA like it was their job to make change. You know, it's all our jobs, but it was just a blessing to see y'all do y'all part, which we knew y'all would because y'all always do. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. What are some things, like you said, now that the season is over, is there anything that you guys will be doing moving forward? I know the NBA had a, had a bunch of postseason initiatives. Is there anything you can discuss right now, or are there, or are there things still in the works? Yeah, it, it, I think it's more in the works. Like, going through the season, we organize so much, and it, it's hard. I mean, there's a reason. I keep saying, like, there's a reason why some people, this is their lives, their livelihoods. Right. Like, being an activist. Man, that's what I said. Their whole they, 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 their whole life is from when they wake up to they go to sleep to do this. But then, like Jack said, your guys' first job, technically, is to play basketball. You know, so mm-hmm. to add all that on top of your plate and fix something that we didn't start was a lot. Yeah, yep. it really was. It really was. And I, I saw that mostly with like my black teammates, my black like counterpart, I guess, is that the right word in the in the executive committee, like seeing how it impacted them. That's where I felt as a white person, as a white player, I could try to like take some of that burden off in like the organizing. Right. So when it was time, I mean, a, a stupid example, but it was an example. It's like, OK, guys, we want to make sure we're wearing the same T-shirt. I was the one who was like, all right, let me handle this. Because that was like one way, because the organizing part on top of trying to be a professional athlete on top of being a black person in this country, like what? It's a lot. Yeah, it's so much. Um, So as far as like postseason, I think the cool part was each individual team in the WNBA kind of started their own like, I don't know, I'm bad with like organization, I guess. I don't know. So ours in Mm -hmm. Seattle is called Force for Change. And so now there's ways to actually do things in our community in Seattle. So that's, I think, for, for I know for my team, where we can put a lot of the emphasis. But I told you guys, like, voting, like, mm-hmm. even if it's just, you know, posting stuff on social media, doing stuff with our, our union, um, until November 3rd, that's going to be the focus. With everything you just said, you've been fortunate enough to win three prior championships leading up to this year. How different was this bubble experience? But then, like you said, the added pressure of knowing that basketball wasn't really, it's never really been your own job. And now it's magnified that they still want to hear your voices and you have to strategize about the world, but still try to win a WNBA championship. How was that this season? Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, people always ask like, oh, why do athletes speak? on?" We have live mics in front of our faces all (laughs) All the the time. time. (laughs) Like, what do you mean? Why are we talking about this Mm -hmm. stuff? So it was a, I mean, it was a juggling act and it was like a emotional, like roller coaster kind of like tied into that. And it was hard. And I think the hardest part, to be honest, was like, you couldn't in this bubble, you didn't have an escape. You couldn't like, Mm. whatever your escape Mm. is, like you just didn't have it. You were just in this world and you're like constantly seeing people. I mean, shout out to all the WNBA players and the coaches and the staff and the refs. May I not see you for a year? Like, I will be happy. Because <laughs> you're just seeing everybody, like, you know, right. getting your food in the elevator. And so you just could not get away. Now, on mm-hmm. the flip side, that ended up being a good thing in, like, the tough moments, right? 
So when we did decide not to play for those two days of games, we had each other. So there was that, there was like that positive part, but in terms of juggling it all, not having to skate, I found out, I'm like, dang, as much as I like basketball, like, I don't know if I like it this much. Like I need to go <laughs> hang out with my friends. I need, right. I want to like do stuff. A break. Yes. Need a breather. Cause we're such, that's why I say we're such creatures of habit. You know what I mean? Like we all have, because we got to this level, we have routines and, and stuff we go by and things we count on being there to kind of balance what our, what our basketball lives are like. And when that is completely taken away, you're put in a, in, a, in a foreign situation and now you're always seeing your, your enemies, quote unquote, you know, the other teams and always having to be, cause you're already around your teammates a lot in normal life, but having to yeah. see them every minute of every single day and you can't just yell, shut the fuck up. I don't want to <laughs> see you right now to nobody. You know what I mean? So it's tough, you know, and we talked about this earlier. I mean, obviously the bubble was a safe situation, but it was still a lot. You know, I talked to Chris Paul about just his mental health of the whole aspect. You know, mm-hmm. Paul George came out and spoke on it. It was it was really overwhelming. And I understood because, like you said, you're being taken away from your comfort zone, your family, your children, if you have them. But then there's a crazy ass world that's going around and you're in this bubble and you're you're stuck. So, you know, you get different perspectives and understanding when you kind of talk to people who are in it. Yeah, I mean, the best part was the, like, being safe from COVID. That was, like, the best part. You could, like, relax. There was, I mean, in every bubble, I think there's there's always, like, some false positives. I mean, we're hearing about it now with, like, the NFL and stuff. So those happen in, in I think, both the NBA and the WNBA bubble. But once you kind of, after the first couple of weeks, you understood that that was kind of, it wasn't scary. It was just like, all right, every now and then there's going to be false positives. You were like, I'm kind of free. I can like, you know, go hang out by the pool. We can go get dinner with people. You can take your mask off and feel comfortable. So there was that part. That was like the one stress-free part. Actually, when we were leaving the bubble, I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I'm ready for real world, like worrying right. about everything. Surreal. But so that was the right. one good part. Mm-hmm. Being a young girl, young Jewish girl from Long Island, um, first love being soccer. Mm-hmm. When did you fall in love with basketball? Pretty Soccer, quickly. Wow. Yeah. Soccer? White girl from Long Island. Come on. It had, it's like, it's a birth, it's a birthright. It's a birthright. Um, pretty quick though. Like I, I, I mean, I played both right away. Soccer probably came first, but only because I don't know, I started in the summer and then, you know, once the fall and the winter came, it was right into the basketball court. Um, so those were like my favorite, like my two sports for sure growing up. And then, um, Eventually, I, I transferred high schools, so I ended up going to Christ the King in Queens. And, Christ the King. Yeah. You know, and then they didn't have a soccer team. <laughs> so that, <laughs> right, I know that. That was that. There was no <laughs> soccer team, so that was it. <laughs> what was that like, though, for, so going from a, a girl from Long Island to going to Queens for school every day? Yeah. Um, so my parents divorced, and my dad had an apartment in, in Queens, so... I basically just moved to Queens and it was a basketball okay. move. It wasn't like it was, it was total basketball decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. like all my family stuff kind of played a role in it. But yeah, I mean, I had been playing for an AAU team out of Christ the King called the Liberty Bells since like sixth grade. So like all the girls on the team went to Christ the King. I already knew some of the guys players just from like basketball. Yeah. So I kind of, it was almost like going to college before college. Cause you know, you get to college mm-hmm. and you're like homies with your teammates and then you meet mm-hmm. the other teams. It was kind of like that. So it was, it was the hardest part was like wearing a uniform. It was a Catholic school. I got all every confess every time we had confession, I got the period free. 
I pulled that Jewish card out real fast. <laughs> that was the hardest part, though. <laughs> That's what's up. So your senior year begins the, the, the journey of you winning hardware. Your senior year, you guys go undefeated. You win a state championship, and then you head on to UConn. Mm-hmm. Um, so who were some of the other schools you possibly thought about uh, joining? Yeah, um, I visited Stanford, Vanderbilt, and then like Duke and Notre Dame were like the – Kind of like the fourth and fifth. I didn't even visit though. It was really UConn from the start. Like that was it. Yeah, the other ones kind of crept in, you know, because like they wine and dine you, but it was UConn. <laughs> what was it? I mean, obviously, it's a long line of great men and women there. What did it mean the first time you actually got to put that uniform on? Uh, it was crazy because they still do really well in attendance, but when I was in school, it was like uh, Gamble was ten thousand. So, and we sold that out and then we would play in the arena in Hartford and that's like 16,000 sold that out. And whether we were playing like our arch, our arch rival, or we were playing like, I don't know, some D2 team in like a preseason game. Yeah. It didn't matter. So to Mm -hmm. me, that was like the fans. That was the crazy part. So you put the uniform on, you run out to all these people. That was wild. That was, that was the wildest part. Do you, do you, do you think your, your UConn team? Could be some WNBA teams. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because it's like five WNBA, like <laughs> top five picks. <laughs> For we real. Were, my senior year, For we were real. loaded. Yeah, we were loaded. Word, word. <laughs> so you had a little setback your freshman year, um, tearing your ACL. Um, what was that like for the first time, basketball te- being taken away due to injury? Yeah, it was terrible. Um, although I also – so like talking about the bubble and needing a break – I, I, I figured out quickly, even my freshman year, like, I love basketball, but, like, I can balance it, you know? So it was tough that it was taken away because I didn't have a chance. I hadn't proven myself yet. Like, I was, you know, like, there was no nothing to back it up. You get hurt now or, like, later in your career. People kind of know who you are, know what you can do. It's like, okay, she'll be fine. But this was, like, I hadn't done anything. So that was probably the hardest part. Um, but it's probably the thing that, like, shaped me. Now, like going through that, having to prove myself, kind of overcome something, you know, and back in 1998, tearing your ACL was like a death wish. Now it's like, yeah, oh, it's yeah. fine. It's normal but back now. then, but yeah. Back then it was scary. It's scary. So did yeah. you get a, one of those big old scars like from your shin to the top <laughs> of your, they have those scary Frankenstein. I remember because <laughs> I had toe surgery and it was supposed to, I thought it was a scope and there's like a scar on my toe, like the size of my foot. I'm like, what the fuck was this? Like, and that was in 1998, like surgery, medical, the, you know, the medical side yeah, of it was different. much different back then. Mm-hmm. So you were, you were able to establish, you know, winning two championships there, playing with, um, Diana and, and Swin Cash, what was it like being able to win with your friends? That was the best part. We had um, we had a really it was like a it was a close group. Like my class is super tight. Group chat still popping now. But then even <laughs> so, and D's class was two years younger, but and they we had five in my class. We ended up being four at the end, but and they had five. So it was like these two like like in numbers. You know what I mean? These two groups, and they kind of ride or die. But when we came together we still had so much fun. So it's like, as like you guys can, it's like the memories aren't the winning. It's nice that you win, but it's like all the other stuff. Um, so to do that and really, I mean, you mentioned two people for D and Swin. It's like, I've literally gone through everything with them starting in college. Swin, actually we played together in the WNBA. Me and D played, um, me, D and Swin with the national team. Then me and D went to Russia. It's just like our careers are so intertwined. 
and it's um, they're like sisters for sure. So it's it's always amazing doing and winning with uh, with your family. That's what's up. Play for uh, legendary coach Gina Ariema, who once said you're the best point guard in the world. How did, this is a two part. How did that make you feel? And then what is some of the best advice he gave you uh, during your time there? He definitely didn't say that shit to my face. He's, Gino, he's, Gino, Gino is such a G, man. I love Gino, man. He's a G, I, man. I never yeah. met him. I just saw, I, I could just feel his energy from the TV. I've always <laughs> fucked with him, even though I'd never met him. He shoots it straight, that's for sure. No, it's for him to say that. Like, I, I'm joking, but he, he gives you compliments to your face, but not when you're in college, not even shortly thereafter. So to have him say that, to know who he's coached, who he's been around, it's obviously an amazing compliment. I think the thing he taught me that to this day I take with me is um it's like a classic line of his it's uh basketball is not a game of how to it's a game of when to mm. and that i think is like true for all players but especially for me at the point guard spot like i'm kind of you know i'm not out there i'm not gonna dazzle you with my athleticism i'm not gonna rely on those things so i have to be really it really is about when i'm doing this stuff not not how right like everybody can shoot dribble pass but it's like when and being really like mm. smart about it and calculated. And that's like my. Mm, that's what's up. 2002, the number one pick in the WNBA draft. Uh, what do you remember most about that, uh, that experience? Two things. One, uh, just really realizing like how far Seattle was. Like I'm East coast. I went to an East coast <laughs> right. school. I was like, Holy shit. This is all the way on the other side. On the other side. Yeah. I wasn't, I, I wouldn't even, I'm not like a, I don't get homesick like that, but that was like a jolt when I finally went out there. And then the other thing I remember about my rookie year was we played against um, the LA Sparks, who they had won the previous year. I mean, like Lisa Leslie, they're like, I can name names, but you get it. They're the LA, they're like the LA Sparks. And mm-hmm. they had this one player, Nikki McCrim, and I told this story recently, actually. And she was like picking me up full court, which is kind of like, there's like that point guard code, you know, it's like, really, are we doing this? You're picking me up full court. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. And she got me twice. She ripped me twice, like, on, mm. you know, and I was like, dang. So come to find out after the game, Michael Cooper put like a bounty on my head. And it was like, whoever <laughs> you know, strips her, whatever it was, That's the amount, like $100 a strip. I was like, fuck. So... That's what it is. Number one pick. You have the X on your back. I should have asked this earlier, but we discussed this with J.J. Redick, who was a, a guest a couple of shows ago. Being a, a smaller, you know, a Jewish girl from Long Island, <laughs> right away for you going to Christ the King and, and, and playing against a lot of black players, what was that like? Because I remember, like, the thought process Jack and I used to have when we would see, like, one of these young up-and-coming don't let him be like, you know, like a white boy rookie who's supposed to be nice. Like, we wanted to dog his ass. So did you face a lot of that, uh, you know, through high school, college, and, and the WNBA? I ho- I mean, I hope not. Uh, Low-key, I'm the same way. I'm like, oh, my God, they put a white yeah, girl on me? Yeah, she's aggressive. Yeah, I love it. I'm like, you put a white girl on me? Yeah, no, I don't I hope yeah, nobody yeah. better think that about me. No. <laughs> right. I love hey, that. You've you been in Seattle. You've been in Seattle for a while. You know about a, a restaurant called Catfish Corner? No. Oh, wait. Kingfish Cafe? No, it's, it, no, it's, it's a restaurant Catfish. that my fa- was it's a restaurant that my uh my family owned on uh, Martin Luther King and Cherry Street. It was called Catfish Corner. It, it was open all around that time because every time I played the Sonics, open. we used to go there and eat. Is I just want to see if you're familiar with that restaurant. Not, uh, 
I don't think it's still open now. I think okay. they they moved, but Martin Luther, Martin Luther King and Chair was a prominent little area yeah, in yeah. Seattle for a while. That's one thing, though. I mean, obviously, after getting your footing in Seattle, I think Seattle's absolutely beautiful, amazing restaurants. I feel like an NBA team should definitely be out there. Maybe the Clippers, maybe Bomber takes the Clippers and kind of set their own identity out there. But how do you love the city now, obviously, being there for so long? I know yeah. why you love it, Matt. <laughs> Quick line. Should I let it, Matt answer that? No. <laughs> um, no, I do love it. It did take me a minute, though. And, like, it's not surprising I don't know a restaurant outside of, like, the Seattle area because anything outside, it feels like a road trip. I don't really leave my little my little nook. Um, mm. People always make fun of me, like, oh, have you gone to Vancouver? I'm like, no. Have you gone to mm. – if I go to Bellevue, it's a road trip. But I do love it. I do love it. It has become – I always say, like, when I land in the Seattle airport, that feels like home. You know, like that airport, mm-hmm. when you land, it feels like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm home. That's what, that's what that feels like now. It, it took a minute, but I've, I've grown to, like, absolutely love the city. That's what's up. 2004, uh, you get your first WNBA championship, being one of 11 women to win an Olympic gold medal WNBA championship. What did that moment mean to you to be able to get your first one on the biggest stage? Um, I mean, looking back, I, I, I don't think I – like, now I realize – how hard it is, how special it is. Looking back, I kind of was like, I was young. I was fresh out of college where I'd won twice. I was like, oh, this is supposed to happen. And I'm I'm not even (laughs) being caught. It wasn't like a cocky thing. It was just kind of like, okay, this is what we do. And then, I mean, I'm sure you got, it's like, we didn't get to the finals for six years. So we won and then we didn't get there for six years. And we had like the same core group. So looking back, I should have like cherished the moment more than I did. So it's something you learn, but you were lucky enough to, to, to win a few more. You've had some great battles against uh, Diana Taurasi throughout your career. Uh, but on the WNBA level, what are those battles meant for you two, seeing that you guys are so close? Yeah, I mean, Loki, I've been trying to get her to, like, sit down with me and, like, watch games. I think it would be so dope to have two people, not just me and her, but, like, two people sit down, watch a game they competed in, and be like, okay, what were you thinking in that timeout? Or what happened after you hit that shot? Because for me and her, there's like a lot of big, big games that we've competed against each other. We've played in the playoffs, I think like maybe like four or five different series. I've gotten the best of her. She's gotten the best of me. I'm like, thank God I don't have to guard her ass though. I'll tell you that. So it's always somebody else's problem Um, because she's tough. She doesn't lose in those moments. So it's tough. She's yeah. a beast. Mm-hmm. She's a beast for sure. 2016, you guys draft Brianna Stewart, mm-hmm. uh, who later becomes not only Rookie of the Year, but MVP in 2018. What is it like being the veteran now, seeing these the, the, these young girls come in and, and, and you got one of the best in the game? Yeah, I mean, I haven't said this to her face. I've said it publicly, but like she like saved my career. I'm not even being you know dramatic about that. I was at a point where it was kind of like, you know, it's 2016. I'm 36. I've, you know, I've done a lot, but I've also had to like endure a lot with my body, some injuries. And then we kind of get with her and Jewel Lloyd, who got drafted the year before, these like youngsters. It was like this breath of fresh air. And it just, it took over our franchise. It took over me. I had this like new purpose, which was to help them out, right? Like I always say, you want to leave the the franchise, or I want to leave this franchise, you know, in great hands. So I want to help them as much as I can. But it's like, she could probably sit here and tell you the ways in which I've helped her. But the truth is she like legit 
her and Jewel both like legit saved my career. And I'm probably playing right now because of, of them coming to the store. Mm-hmm. That's dope. With that said, you you know you got your third ring, but helped those two get there first in 2018. What was that like to be to be able to get them to to that place you've been so many times? Yeah, that was crazy because um, it was like happiness from like a personal standpoint, but it was also this like looking at probably I don't have kids, but I'm assuming it's like when your kids do something special, you have this like it's other sense better. of pride. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know they're not my kids, but. I feel like mm-hmm. in basketball life, they kind of are. So right. it was right. kind of like... You the, you the big homie. You the yeah. big homie. <laughs> mm-hmm. She's an OG. <laughs> <laughs> so it was dope. It was dope. Yeah. One of your childhood memories was to win, uh, to make the Olympic team. And then obviously you've been able to succeed that and win four gold medals. And, and, and fingers mm. crossed you'll be able to join them next year to possibly win your fifth. Tell us what it's like, because like I said earlier, you've been winning for such a long time. How different is winning for your country? Oh, that's crazy. Because especially like growing up for me, there was no WNBA. So like you went to college and you like heard about people playing in Europe. But I don't know, you're like 14. You're, I don't know what the hell that is. And you, that's not like what you're dreaming to do. So it was like, all right, I hope to go to college. And then it was the Olympic team. That was like it. And right around, yeah, right around when I turned 14, 15, you had the Olympic team who ended up winning in Atlanta in 96. They like did this year long tour. It's like all the big names. And that was like, oh, I want to do that. So that's that was always kind of the dream. So even though playing professional basketball overseas in the WNBA is great. Um, I mean, it's more than great. It's, it's obviously epic, but being on the Olympic team, that for me was the ultimate, ultimate. So to do that multiple times, um, to go overseas and no matter who you're playing, where you're playing them, people just want you to lose, but you still find a way to win. It's Mm -hmm. nice. (laughs) Everybody, Mm -hmm. they love us. They want to like live in our country. I mean, I hope still, I don't know about it anymore, but they, people overseas like want to live here, <laughs> but, <laughs> but they want so you to lose. They cheer, <laughs> no, oh man, no, no matter who you're yep. playing, they cheer against you. There's no question. But that, that's, to me, that's always been that driving motivation. I'm sure it's on another level for you when you're doing it in the Olympics. You were integral in helping um, with the uh, the pay plan for the national team and then also help changing the CBA for – players in the WNBA because most people watching this know, but you guys, some people have always had to go overseas to make ends meet because the pay was so minimum, Mm -hmm. you know? So like I said, you were very integral in obviously getting the, the, you know, the national team payment situation started and then devising the new CBA. Tell us how important that was to you um, to be able to help because I know you're always about giving back and and for who's next. Yeah, that's really what it is. Um, Cause really like the CBA I, I might get to play under it like another year or two, but it's not really for me. It wasn't, that's not what the motivator was. It was for the kids coming up, the kids, you know, in high school. I think something about women's basketball, it's kind of backwards. It's like college gets all this, rightfully so. College should get love, but the WNBA should get equal, if not more love, because right. for a college kid, you're there four years, you could have a 10 plus year career. So it's kind of backwards in this way. And I just think a big part of it is like you want to you want to have a league that's going to motivate young kids to want to stay in the sport, to want to play, to want to like move on. And I think we just had this like narrative around us. And some of it was rightfully so. Some of it was kind of a stretch, but like that it was like a shitty league. You don't get paid. Why play it? This is stupid. All this stuff. So we wanted to like change that. 
And so a big part of that was getting more money, you know, like changing just kind of the, the makeup of how the cap got divvied out. Like we had a max salary. So once you were maxed out, that was it. But there was also obviously like, but there's this hard cap with a number they have to hit. And I'm not going to like bore you with it, but eventually your best players weren't getting all that extra money when the cap would go up, right? Like every year, cause you were maxed out. That was it. And this is, it was like just the, the format was like ridiculous. So we got to change that. So now people can make like in their WNBA, like basketball salary over 200,000, but then there's off season stuff they can do too. So like there could be three, four players staying home every year, making like close to half a million dollars, which is huge. And to your point, maybe not have to go overseas anymore. Right. Yeah. Well, cause you saw, I want to ask because obviously, you know, Brianna went over there and tore her ACL and mm-hmm. had to sit out for a season. Yeah. But explain to, to our fans what your season would be like because, you know, most people only think, hey, they, they're playing in the WNBA and then they have all this off time. You guys go right from that to overseas. So in a 12-month period, how much basketball are you actually playing? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there. so if you're lucky enough, I guess, to be like on, you know, on a WNBA team that goes deep into the playoffs or just the playoffs, then you're on your overseas team. And then if you throw the national team in there, I mean, there were years where I'm, I'm not even exaggerating. If I had like a week and a half off, I was like, hey, wow. this is amazing. This is so long. Where are we going to go? Like wow. it was just bop to bop to bop. And a lot of people's contracts will say something like whatever day your WNBA season ends, you have to report 10 days after. So if you wow. lose in the first round, you lose in the finals, whatever, you get 10 days and then boom, you're mm-hmm. off. And then a lot of times you mm-hmm. come back late to the WNBA training camp. So it's just a year round grind. I mean, it's worth it because they, the pay is so good overseas. So it's like, you got to do what you got to do. And and I think we would love to kind of end that, end that cycle. So people can just stay home and make that kind of money. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano. And we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three time NBA six man of the year, elite bucket getter let's please welcome jamal crawford to point game king of the court one-on-one tournament if they had it back in your prime do you think he could have took it all i'm gonna be honest with you i don't think i could have took it all but i think i would have shocked a lot of people i think kobe and everybody in their prime kobe would win a one-on-one contest yeah yeah because you gotta think he's gonna guard he don't care about guarding He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college? Because it ain't it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative. The 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale 1 million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field, from free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify has made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses. 
helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The 1 million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Last February, you officially re-signed with the Storm. Um, thoughts on being one of those legendary players that stick with just that franchise their entire career? And did you ever think that at one point you might possibly play somewhere else? Um, like plead the fifth? Um, no, <laughs> I, I did. I did. I did. Because before we drafted Jewel, who was right before Stewie, so it's like 2014, it was kind of like we didn't know the, we were rebuilding and the franchise said, this is it. We're rebuilding, got rid of like all the other OGs, if you will. And so it was just me. I was the only one. And it was kind of like, all right, like I had some years left. Do I want to never play in the playoffs again? Mm. That resonated. Somebody said that to me, like, do you just never want to play in the playoffs again? I was like, dang, no. Yeah. That really hit me. So it was in that moment where I kind of juggled and I'll be honest, the only places I really would have gone probably is only place was probably Phoenix. New York. Oh. No, hell no. Never. Never. Would you have ever, cause I, you know, there was obviously joking, you know, Diana would joke about it. Did uh -huh. you guys ever seriously talk about playing together in your WNBA careers? So this is interesting. So we did once, but it was in Russia. There was like vodka on the table and it was just, <laughs> it was just some chatter. <laughs> and we were kind of like, but we both, we both basically said if we ever did it, we would have to go somewhere else. Like not oh, okay. her to Seattle or me to Phoenix. Like we gotcha, would go somewhere gotcha, else. Gotcha. Yeah. But it's funny. Gotcha. I wonder if like, cause things are just different now. Like the talk of it's different. The talk about players leaving is different. Our CBA is different now with the money. Whereas before it was, it was like hard to leave. We have, we have like a core title, which is kind of like franchise player. So they can just keep you no matter what. But things are different now. And I wonder if D and I were like 26 now, right? Like contracts just coming up. I wonder if we would have oh. ever done it. Mm. That would have been, so, yeah. been dangerous. Yeah. Been you dangerous. guys taking your talents to New York? Yeah, exactly. That'd be dope. Um, Seattle's filled with rich sports history. Obviously, the connection that Russell Wilson has and King Griffey Jr., Sean Kemp, Gary Payton, the list goes on. How has that experience and interaction been for you the, 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 over the trajectory of your career and all you've been able to accomplish? Yeah, I think Seattle is, like, special in that way because it's, um, it's a small – it's a big enough city where it has all this stuff, but it's small enough where it's really close-knit and all the sports teams, they really support each other. Um, I mean, listen, speaking of – track, you know, backtrack – 2002, I get drafted, like
like two weeks later, I fly out. The first thing I do is go to a Sonics playoff game. So that was like my introduction to the city was watching Gary Payton play. You know what I mean? Which was like insane. And I'll I'll like never forget it because every time he had an assist, the announcer would just be like, a little love from the glove. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to like it here. I'm going to like it here. Um, I think it was like the next year where Ray out, where they got, he got traded and Ray came. Um, which again was like some great years of Sonic basketball. Obviously I'm basketball biased, but it was so Mm -hmm. dope to go to those games. I was at, um, when they lost to the Spurs in the playoffs that year with Ray, Richard Lewis, um, we were all at those games. You know, I missed that. Mm. I actually really missed that. But the same goes with the Seahawks, the Mariners, um, the Sounders, the rain, you name it. There's tons of sports teams in Seattle and we all, we all just kind of get along, support each other. It's, it's really cool. It's special. That's dope. Transitioning a little bit, uh, 2017, you came out to the world that you were dating uh, Megan Rapino. Obviously, I, I've read in articles that your family and close friends already knew what you were about. But was that's, the, that's a... the homie too. That's the homie too. <laughs> Shout out, man. Yeah. That's the homie too, man. That's the no homie. doubt, no doubt. Was it a relief? Was it what was the feeling when you finally just came out? But like, because like I said before, you know, everyone close to you knew the situation, but kind of just getting it off your chest for everyone else to stop prime pricking or wondering was there a, kind of, a sense of relief with that yeah there was definitely um i think you said it it's like everybody in my life knew and truly i didn't i didn't really fully appreciate what it was what it would have meant for me and others to actually just say it publicly i was just kind of like what i'm living my life i don't hide anything like why do i have to like say it to a journalist but then when it happened and i did it was kind of like oh this is nice this is like I always joke, like, I don't have to come out 30,000 times anymore. There was just the one big one, you know, and it was done. Um, And I think it helps other people, too. Like, the more people say and express, you know, who they love and what they're about, Mm -hmm. um, it just, I don't know, it it helps others. So that part, I, I didn't give enough weight to. That was one thing that, you know, when, when people ask why sometimes athletes or celebrities share public information or public hardship or whatever the situation may be, most of the time it's not necessarily for our benefit, but it's because so many people look up to us and understand that shit, if Sue Bird is going through this, if Steven Jackson is going through this, I can get through this, you know, or, or, or I'm fine now. So I think you hit it on the head right there. It's beautiful because, like I said, our lives are, people look at us like we're not normal when we're just as normal as everyone else. And we go through the same ups and downs, bullshit, hardships, great times. So when we're able to share some of our personal life and encourage others, it really goes a long way. Absolutely. And I noticed that like right out the gate, like literally that the second the article hit, I just like most of it on social media, obviously, but even in person, I'd have everyone from like a 15 year old going out of their way to be like, thank you so much. This changed my life to like 55 year olds would be like, oh, my God, you made me realize. You know what I mean? So it was pretty crazy and, and, and all That's of the You know, Meg, Meg is kind of like me. We we rock to the beat of our own drum, and we wear what we want to wear. Take me through the, the morning of her getting dressed. Because she be wearing <laughs> a lot of crazy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she, she got her own swag. Yeah. You know, she's like everyone else. We're like every now and then, you know, like you plan the outfit in your head. And then when you put it on, you're like, huh. Not quite what I <laughs> thought like that, that was going to be. Yeah. She has those moments. Uh, but for the most yeah. part, it's like anything, right? It's like just the confidence to like be who you are, wear what you want. Exactly. Then it look, exactly. then it look, it's going to look good. And that's usually when she puts yeah. stuff on. I have my moments. Trust me. She'll be like, how's this look? I'm like, whoa. And then <laughs> 20 minutes later, I'm like, okay, I see where you're going with that. And it actually works really yeah. well. Right. That, that's oh, so what I love. Always, how she do her own thing. She oh, do yeah. her own thing. Oh, yeah. 
It's so the person makes the clothes, not the clothes exactly. making the person. I want to take it back a little further. Obviously, you guys are a power couple now, <laughs> but how did how did all this start? <laughs> um, so we actually, so she plays on the team in Seattle, which, and we have the same, not the same agent, but the same agency. So it's kind of like we knew of each other, you know, of course you're going to know names and whatnot, but we didn't really meet until the Olympics 2016 was like the first time there was like a hello before that, but it was really the first time we like hung out. And I mean, she was in a relationship, so it wasn't even like that at first, but then like very quickly, it was kind of like, oh, we're texting a lot. I don't know. This probably means something. <laughs> and then we were both in Seattle. And then from there, obviously, the rest is history. It worked. Look at that. She's someone who's been very vocal and advocate for the LGBTQ community, racial issues. She took a knee with Cap. Mm-hmm. What is it like seeing her kind of strength? Obviously, you have your type of strength. She has her type of strength. But what is it witnessing that firsthand? Unbelievable. Um, I mean, we, were, we, were, we had just started dating when um, she took a knee you know, with, with Colin, like in solidarity with Colin and just to see somebody, I've always said, it's like, it's one thing to, to fight for what's right for like you, you know, like when it directly impacts you, that's right. kind of, it's not, it's never easy to speak up. Don't get me wrong, but that's easier. Cause you're like fighting for, this was and for her, just, she just believed. I mean, if you ask her in that moment, what happened? She's like, I believed Colin. Sure. That's all it was. It was just listening to him speak and seeing what he was doing. She believed. And so, and she knew, not knew, she wanted to support that. That's all it was. Mm-hmm. And then to see the backlash, right? Because here we have like a cute little white girl and yeah, she's gay, but a cute little white girl on the U.S. women's national team receiving all kinds of hate, right? Mm-hmm. And so to, to, to watch her kind of go through that and handle it the way she did, um, to continue to be vocal about these things, it was just, I mean, we had just started dating, but it was, it was amazing. It really was. Just so proud She was of built for it. Yeah. She was built for it. Yeah. Absolutely. She was also quoted saying she wouldn't go to the White House if they won. Mm-hmm. And then this bum-ass president had some slick to say. And then you wrote an open letter uh, defending her to the Players' Tribune saying, uh, so the, fuck, the president hates my fucking girl. <laughs> 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 I, thought that, I, I thought that shit was so dumb. But tell, me what, tell, me what, tell me what that was like, kind of pinning that and getting yeah. all your ideas together because normally you guys aren't the ones, quote unquote, being attacked or, or hate being sent at you. Um, but you kind of found yourself in a wildfire right there. What was that experience like? Um, I mean, it was what it was like. Like looking back, I wouldn't have done anything different. You know what I mean? Like for all the good and the bad that comes with it. To me, it was two things like defending Megan, but also simultaneously defending like what she was standing for. And so it's like, I wouldn't go back and change it. So, but it was crazy. I mean, I will say there was more in terms of that article there. I feel like a lot more positive than negative reactions to it. Um, Of course there's, I mean, you guys know, I'm sure like social media is just whatever. It's like a cesspool. But aside from that, like Megan and I talk about this all the time. It's like never to our faces. That's the shit. It's like never yeah. to our face. She's actually only had, and she could tell you the story one day, like she's had one person say something to her face. And it was like, I want to say it was like a veteran of some sort, like something involving the military, but that's it. Never to our faces. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's, it's always going to go further from like a positive standpoint. Um, so I would, I would always do it again. And it was fun writing it. I had a good time. I mean, cause there's like light parts to it. There's serious parts right. to it. I All enjoyed right. it. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano. And we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. 
We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he ain't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. No, you know cowards never, they always talk that shit behind the, behind the keyboard or mm-hmm. b- behind the Instagram. They'll never say it to your face. That's why you got to just let it go. <laughs> um, transitioning into, you're an athletic a- ambassador for... Um, her sister's CBD company. Mm-hmm. Um, what are, I, I want to get your thoughts on CBD and then also THC um, and just thoughts on athletes and professional sports being able to utilize that to, you know, to help recover them and, and, and to their benefit. Yeah, I mean, obviously I'm you know, a big proponent of it. I'm very much um, into it, I guess. Uh, I think it's, it's like as an athlete for so, for so many years, you see all the drugs that are kind of passed around, whether it's like anti-inflammatory, sleep aids, whatever. And so to me, obviously it's just the stigma, which is slowly starting to change, but it's the stigma of it all that gives it a bad rap. Um, but this, Mendy's the name of the company and it's, the, the bent is, it's CBD, does, there, there is some product which, with THC in it, but. Infused, the, yep. yeah, yeah. yeah. But the bent is towards athletes and kind of like that recovery, whether you're a professional athlete or like that weekend warrior vibe. Um, and I think it was like three years ago, Megan started talking to me about maybe more three or four years ago. Megan started talking to me about CBD. Fast forward a year or two, her sister starts this company. And it was just, I don't know. So we kind of all went through the process of trying different products and kind of like giving our take on things. And I actually... Um, Cause if you've ever used like the oil on like a, you know, your elbow hurts, you throw some oil on it. It gets like all over you. So we actually have like a stick. So you don't have to actually physically touch it. It's the Mendy stick. Mm -hmm. So I I love using that just for like different parts of your body. And then there's gummies and there's um, capsules. And then there's actually like a tincture too. So it's just like CBD to me personally, I'm obsessed. This summer we didn't have drug testing in the wobble. So it was a totally different experience. (laughs) 
<laughs> it was yeah. it really was it was just like i slept amazing the whole season <laughs> you know what i mean like right. i was literally taking the gummies the second the seat the the games were over because i was like all right i'll probably yeah. be back in the hotel in like an hour and a half this will hit at the right time because as you know sometimes it's hard to sleep mm-hmm. after games um yeah. so yeah it, it's just to me it's been life-changing as an athlete um and i think the thc part of it like if like for people who smoke or whatever I mean, I don't see that being any different from, like I said, all the drugs that have been kind of like pushed for all these years. So it sounds like um, Jack that she might need to come to a smokeout when she retires, and we'll teach her how to uh, roll some joints and, and, and enjoy the uh, enjoy the other side of it as well. I would be honored. I would be honored. <laughs> My smoke team. <laughs> there you go, smoke buddies. What are your thoughts on people that say? The female game is not fun to watch. They're not athletic. They're not this. They're not that. What are your thoughts to people who have that uh, point of view on your guys' sport? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I'd venture to say, like, a lot of people who just come out and say that haven't even watched. So it's like, you got to take that opinion with, like, a grain of salt. Because a lot of people, for a long time, it was just kind of easy. We were the easy target, you know? And I've always said, like, like, hockey, I, I've been to like a Rangers game, a Islanders game in my life. Like I'm not a huge hockey fan, although there is one coming to Seattle, so I should probably get on board. But, but I, I, even though I don't necessarily like hockey, I don't go out there and shit on it, but there's something about women's basketball where it's not enough to not like it. It's always been this easy target. So that's like, it's kind of hard to take the comment, not seriously, but it's kind of hard to have a reaction to it. Cause I feel like a lot of people just haven't watched. The other part of it is we're also this, we fall into this weird I don't know, category where we get compared to our male counterpart. And I'll be the first one to tell you, like, we can't jump as high. We can't dunk. We can't run as fast. We can't do these things. But why does that make the game worse? Why does it make it any, you know? And I think the one thing when people say, like, when NBA players will, like, come out and in support of us, and Kobe Bryant was was obviously a big, um, you know, WNBA fan and for his daughter. And I think when I look at Kobe and I think what he saw in Gigi was – this player who loved the game and wanted to be great at it and was going to put in the work. And that's all we are. Mm-hmm. We're just athletes mm-hmm. who love what we do. We put in the work and we try to do our best and win championships and like have impact on people's lives. And it's the same. It's only when you start comparing like the jumping, like not just jumping, but right. like the physical attribute part. Period. So it's yeah. just, just the athleticism. Yeah. You know, when you break it down to just pure skill, you guys are neck and neck when it, because you guys have to be like some NBA players can get away with being mm-hmm. a freak athlete or super strong and they can lack some skill. But on your guys's level, the skill level has to be elite to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And like I like I've, I'm just def- I've definitely had like some come to Jesus moments with all this talk about it, you know, because it's just like in terms of I used to like fight it. I would argue. But now I'm like, if you like the men's game, that's cool. Like, you don't have to like the women's game just because, you know what I mean? That's cool. But my thing is, did you ever even really give it a chance? Like, did yeah. you ever actually watch it? Did you ever actually get into it, into the storylines, the way that you do with, with maybe the NBA or wherever? Because um, it, it is different, and we do have to rely, like you said, Matt, like we have to rely on other things. So we, like, have to right. play together. We have to – we can't just go one-on-one. You'll never see a Houston mm-hmm. Rockets in our league. It just won't happen. Right. Yeah. But a lot of but a lot of people a lot of people that do that they don't understand in order to like something you don't have to demean the next. And mm-hmm. one thing we understand about athletes is me personally like I know that 
the, the, the WNBA game is definitely needed. I have five daughters, and I wish my daughters played basketball. But half the guys, half the people that say that, they mad one reason they because they can't beat y'all, and they probably didn't even <laughs> make they, they probably they probably didn't make their boys and girls high, um, uh, junior team. So they really just, just hate, hate because they wish they can do what y'all can do and as good as y'all can do it. Facts, facts. Yeah. You know, I saw something really cool though because through you know my kid, you know Derek Fisher coaches the Sparks, and mm-hmm. that's my kid's stepdad. So my kids never. I, I used to ask, "What do you guys think about girls?" Oh, it's okay. They're eleven now, but they started going to games because he coaches it, and they fucking love it. Really? Like they Facetime me from the game, and they're ex- so like you said. I just think it, actually experiencing it, you'll really see how. And like I said, for my boys are. You know, Jack knows my boy, boy, hard-headed boy boys. Yes. You know yes. what I mean? But they they really enjoyed, the, you know, they Candace did this tonight and so-and-so did that tonight. Like, they broke the game down and just actually giving it a chance is most important because, like you said, most people are going to prejudge it before you actually give it a chance. Yeah. And also, like, that's an interesting point because your kids are 11. So they've now, like, grown up with a world that has a WNBA. Like, it's, yeah, of right. course there's a WNBA. It's, it's normal. It's yeah. normal. Whereas, like, I think for mm-hmm. a long time it was new and we kind of had to break into people's mindsets, you know? So right. that's pretty cool, mm-hmm. especially for young kids, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, thoughts on the 2020 um, Hall of Flame class? Obviously, Kobe, uh, KG, Duncan, uh, and then Tamika uh, Catchings is, is is also up for that. Um to me, from from a male's point of view, one of the greatest Hall of Fame classes ever to go in. What are your thoughts with that group? Yeah, I mean, every I feel like every year there might be like one or two names where not not like what are they doing there, but maybe you didn't know them. <laughs> you know, like they're right. like a little bit older, mm-hmm. or you just didn't watch mm-hmm. them. These are all names that are like everybody. These are household names. So mm-hmm. that I mean, that's a cool class to to go into. Obviously, shout out to Tamika Catchings. She was my teammate mm-hmm. with uh, USA Basketball. She's mm-hmm. she's that player that like no matter what in in scrimmages and in practice you were like please hard. be on yes you're like please be on my team because she's gonna get all the rebounds like all the <laughs> <laughs> on top of everything else you're just like please be on my team so I don't have to like you know guard you or mess with you at all right. she went hard all the time I was in Indiana up. I was in Indiana uh, at the same time she was out oh, okay. there and she goes. Hard, bro. I seen it with my own eyes. She mm. definitely goes hard. Yeah. Mm. And those people, I go hard in the game. I don't go that hard in practice. Those kind of people that go hard in practice are scary because you're going to have to raise your level or you're going to end up getting your ass ran over. We call <laughs> exactly. them game speed. Man, we, we call those game guys speed. who practice hard. He's like, game okay, hold on. Man, we get ready to scrimmage. You guarding game speed. I'm not guarding yeah. game speed. Exactly. <laughs> no. No, I got like, hey, one quick story. Ryan Hollins was ultimate game speed. So we're in the Clippers. Uh, this mother- we're, we're doing a motherfucking walkthrough for the playoffs against OKC, and he's on the scout team. And this motherfucker jumps a walk-through pick-and-roll with Chris and knees him in his thigh. Like, Chris Ooh. almost is not able to play. Like, yo, like, I almost had to fuck him up. Like, bro, you're about to take our fucking point guard out in a walk-through playoff shoot-around. What the fuck are you doing? Game speed, I was going to say, shoot-arounds. Yeah. The, the shoot-around yo. game speed is the worst. Like, like, I don't know who you think like, you are right now. Like, I get it. Like the, <laughs> hey, but like, hey, the game, the game, hey, we got to play at 730 tonight. I don't know what the <laughs> fuck you're doing right now at noon, but we got to play later. <laughs> That's funny. Who was the uh, toughest player you've ever had to guard or who guarded you in your career? Both. Um, so just because it's, you know, this, this season's like fresh, 
Um, Arike Gumbawale is no joke. Mm, yeah. So I, I just mm, I, mm. I just said we'll never have a Houston Rockets. If there was going to be that tight, it would be whatever team she's on. So she's on Dallas right now. Like that's the yeah. kind of that's the kind of player you can give her the ball and be like, go ahead. Go get it's, the bucket. Yeah. She, it's, it's unbelievable. So <laughs> guarding her, I was like, uh, and then guarding That's me, funny. I mean, there's been, I'll give a shout out to another OG. Jen Azy was always tough. She's older than I am. Mm, um, yeah. Jen Azy was tough. She was tough. She like, played hard. Yeah. Yeah. Most memorable play or experience in your WNBA career. Um, so I've seen teammates shoot in the wrong basket. So that's, as a professional, that's actually the most memorable. Lauren Jackson shot and made it in the wrong basket. I was like, isn't that supposed to stop when you're like, I don't know, eight? So that happened. Mm. Uh, For me personally, though, in 2018 in our playoff run, we went to game five. We played five game series. So it was game five in the semis against Phoenix. And I had probably like the best six minutes of my life. I scored like a bunch, like 14 or some odd points in in the last six Mm. minutes. And we won the game. We won game five against Diana. So it's like on all levels, that so, will by far be, yeah, my most memorable. Yeah, I, got yeah. a, I got a quick question. Well, my my actual favorite female player is Dawn Staley. Ooh. Who is your favorite of all time? I know I know you know of Dawn Staley. Who is your I favorite mean, of all time? Of course. I played with her, against her. She's my coach with the national <laughs> team now. Um, yeah. My favorite of all time? I have two. So one is Jen Easy because... She's like a little white girl with, with brown ponytail. So I was like, oh, that was like my see it, be it moment. I was like, oh, she's doing yeah. it. Like I could do this. Yeah. She's probably like five plus years older than I am. Um, but Shamiqua holds claw, man. Mm. Uh, Killer. When she signed to Jordan, when she signed it, would she sign to Jordan brand? I don't know. Did she get signed to Jordan brand yet? I don't think so. uh, I'm not sure, man. I'm not sure. But that was like Christ the King dominated. Tennessee dominated. Mm, Yes. Um, Like her pro career ended probably earlier than it should have. But like, man. Problem. (laughs) She was a a go. She was good. Yeah. In the 2020 class, uh, the New York Liberty uh, drafted uh, Sabrina Ionescu. I don't always butcher her last name. Um, Ionescu. And I started... Yeah, I started following her, obviously, because like you said earlier, you know, Kobe's attention to the WNBA. I always liked the WNBA, but when Kobe really, you know, we talked a lot and he really started supporting it, I started watching it more and, you know, discovered her. She's a monster. What are your thoughts? uh, Obviously getting hurt this season. What are your thoughts on, uh, you know, her future in the WNBA? Yeah, uh, her getting hurt this season was a huge bummer for so many reasons, Um, you know, but I'm sure for her as a player, it's like, I can only imagine, right? Like you have all this hype, all this talk about you. You like dominated in college. You're the number one pit. And then you get hurt like three games in. It's just now you have to live with that for like a full year. And so you're probably mm. going to get back out there. So I felt for her on that. But um, she showed a lot in those first couple games in the WBA because it is an adjustment. And she showed a lot. Um, I think for her, what I see or what I saw, she's already paying attention to her body and like taking care of herself and trying to be in like amazing shape. And that's like, you know, as a younger player, if you're already doing that at a young age, I mean, that that can really, you know, help you out. Um, but just the way she she can do so much. I mean, she obviously she's triple double queen from college, but you could see she she impacts the game at like every part of the game. 
offensively, defensively, yeah. and like she just has an impact on the game. And you saw that already. So I'm really excited. I, I've said this, like, even though I hope I have a year or two left, this is this is the one player, the first player in a long time, really and a couple other players in her class too, where I'm just like, as a fan, I'm just like excited mm. to see how it plays out. Like, I'm like, I'm excited right, yeah. to watch her and see how it goes. You know, mm-hmm, I never yeah, felt that way. Too. Like even three, four years ago, I was like, ah, whatever. But this is like, I'm actually That's excited dumb. to see. Yeah. So it'll be fun to what watch happens. her. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. They have a chance to carry the torch for the league and take it to new levels. So that's mm-hmm. always inspiring. Your all-time WNBA starting five. Ooh. Um, starting five. So we'll go Lisa Leslie. Of mandatory. Mandatory. Lauren Jackson. Um, Ooh. God, it's tough. Uh, God. Um, <laughs> Maya Moore. <laughs> Because I want to say Tina Thompson, too. Tina Thompson's fucking so Mm -hmm. good. Maya Moore, Diana Taurasi. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. I'm tempted to put myself, but I won't. Mm, And I'm going to go. Put (laughs) yourself. Just for for fun. I'm going to go Becky Hammond. Oh. Becky was no joke. Hey, Becky had game. She is, she's she's no a joke. little bit older. Is she around our age or a little bit older? She's like a little, like three, four years she, older. She's older. Yeah. Yeah. She's yeah. Old. yeah she's not, Becky was a beast. So up. good. So good. We mentioned earlier, you know, the NBA guy supporting your guys' sport does a lot for your guys' sport. Mm-hmm. You're personally a big fan of Kyrie. Jack mm-hmm. is really close with him. Any memorable stories, moments uh, with Kyrie? Yeah. So the first time I really got to like meet Kyrie and then hang out was at the Olympics in 2016. And it was just cool because he's like a huge fan of basketball. Like the guy like watches YouTube videos of like all different kinds of players. And he's constantly trying to like learn. Um, and I just really enjoyed like talking to him and cause he doesn't look at things. I feel like this, he, he wants to look at things differently. Cause then he like implements that into his game, right? He's not just going to go do a workout that someone's always done. Like shoot five from five spots. He's like, nah, I'm going to shoot him from the other five spots. Like, he's just going to do it a little differently. And you can see that creativity in his game. So just kind of talking to him, hearing how he looks at things basketball-wise was a lot of fun. But the first time we actually met, I was just, like, at the hotel. Both the men's and the women's team were there. And it was just cool because, like, I'm much older than he is. And he, like, came up to me and was like, oh my god sue like i uh, yeah yeah i've been like dying to meet you and it's just <laughs> like because like though. yeah that's, in the back that's of my Kyrie, head though. that's him right. that's him yeah in the back of my head i'm like i've been dying to meet you too you know what i mean but it was just right. cool to have that like mutual respect and then again like i said getting to know him not just in basketball terms like talking about basketball yes but like off the court stuff too it was fun because we were together for like our teams are together for like a legit month when we're over in the mm. olympics so it was just really cool. And then the, the friendship has continued. He, we check in every now and then. He's been so kind with like, he's hooked me up with some, like with the Nike shoes and he did the Keep Sue Fresh like collab thing. He's just, oh. yeah, he goes out of his way in that way. And it's just been, um, it's just been really special. And of course I loved watching him um, do his thing on the court. Hopefully we'll see him back soon. Definitely a it's real good. one. Yeah. It's going to be fun seeing what him and KD can do together next year. And Steve Nash at the helm. That's going to be – they're going to be a fun team to watch. Mm-hmm. Well, Sue Bird, thank you for your time. We appreciate it. Um, enjoy Happy birthday your, again, champ. Thank you. I was about to say, yes. <laughs> enjoy your championship. Enjoy your birthday. And uh, we're excited to hear you're not – you got some more in the tank. Thank you. And pop, one, and pop a couple of them gummies for me too. <laughs> 
I got you. That's what the off season's for. Hey, man, hey, remember when you retire who your smoke team is. Come fuck with us once you retire. We'll get you right. I'll be on my way. Don't worry. <laughs> thank you guys so much for having me. I'm a big fan no, of the thank show. You. So we appreciate thank it. You. Yeah. Thank You're you. You're our first WNBA so. player, so we appreciate you. That's a wrap. Uh, thank you to our special guest, future Hall of Famer Sue Bird. Thank you. You can catch all the smoke on Showtime Basketball YouTube and the iHeart platforms. Good show, Jack. Good show, my boy. Thank you again, Sue. Have a great offseason, Sue. Thank you. This is All the Smoke, a production of The Black Effect and iHeart Radio in partnership with Showtime. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare a rested child is a happy child sleep tight stories is a weekly podcast that brings comfort and joy to families worldwide with calming bedtime stories. The stories are relevant to children and spark wonder without overstimulation, so they can fall asleep and stay asleep. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For a bedtime routine you'll miss when they're grown, Sleep Tight Stories.